Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mira Davis, media maven, talent booker, and you can see me on HLN TV sometimes now. Yes, in studio. In studio. In studio. I am Terry Anulowitz. I am a state representative. You will see me all around Smyrna. Jen Jordan once said I was Smyrna famous, and you know what? (laughs) She's not wrong. Smyrna famous. Smyrna famous. I really like that a lot. That's a good one. Well, welcome today. We're going to talk about a lot of things like what's happening with the Democrats, student loans, uh, the loss of a great uh, Georgia first lady, and uh, of course, what is on so many of our minds with our upcoming guests, uh, how pro-choice politicians are really making waves and what that looks for the midterm elections. So let's start off with Democrats in array. Yes, total array. Fabulous, glorious array. I am I'm loving the dark brand and rising memes. I think that they're I think they're perfect. And yeah, Dems are you gotta have faith. So the thing about Joe Biden too, I think which I think a lot of people forget is he is a long game politician. He right. was in the Senate for a long time. And he is someone from whom I expect good things to happen. I expect great things to happen. I just don't expect them to happen immediately. And now we have all these things happening. The timing, frankly, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And these are actually genuinely good things that are going to help a lot of families in the United States. They're making an impact. Inflation Reduction Act, gas prices are getting lower. Yes, they are. You had the student loan forgiveness. So a lot of these things are definitely signs in the right direction. You've seen, even though his poll numbers are just terrible, but I feel like people just want to be mad at the guy who's in charge, you know, for whatever ails them. But for... Georgia, it's interesting because there is, uh, you know, and of course people are still asked, you know, well, if Joe Biden comes to town to campaign for you, what are you going to do? And you've had Warnock, who's pretty much like, I'm going to do my own thing, where Stacey Abrams has pretty much embraced him hard. Right. So I think, you know, you you just got to stay loyal. It is interesting. I think the student loan forgiveness, I think it's fabulous. I know people on the right and on the left we're complaining about this. What are your thoughts? I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think that the nuances that are present in this, you know, that you have, it's, if it's, you know, some, if it's a, you know, certain kind of grant for low, low income, you get $20,000 reduction. This is a game changer. Is it a clean slate? Not for everybody. No, but for a lot of people it is. And I also don't like the intimations I've seen with a lot of Republican lawmakers saying, oh, well, this is just going to help a bunch of Wall Street bankers and lawyers. No, the income cap is $125,000. And last I checked, most Wall Street bankers and lawyers probably don't qualify. So you're not going to be paying back a bunch of loans for a bunch of, you know, white collar people living the dream, you know, right. and, and Wall Street. Like, that's not what this is. This is going to help a lot of people, a lot of people of color, a lot of people who actually didn't finish their degrees, but they're still having to pay off mountains of student loan debt without the advantages that having a college degree, you know, the kinds of job that having a college degree gives you access to. So this is like, Anne Helen Peterson has a great newsletter, a culture study, I believe it's called. And she yesterday was collecting real life stories from real people of how 
this even just this $10,000 is going to completely change the game for their families. Right, because it's just, you, you can kind of never catch up. My favorite part is the hypocrisy from a lot of politicians. Oh um, and I can play some audio of some of them. For our government just to say, you know, okay, well, your debt is completely forgiven. Obviously, they have an agenda for that. They need votes in November. So the timing is a pure coincidence there as well. But it's completely unfair. And taxpayers all over the country, taxpayers that never took out a student loan, taxpayers that pay their bills and, and, and you know, maybe even never went to college or just hardworking people, they shouldn't have to pay off the great big student loan debt for, for some college student that piled up massive debt going to some Ivy League school. That's not fair. Well, my favorite part of all of this is that there's been a lot of uh, a lot of this and all of them took out PPP loans uh, in COVID. And the White House really went on the offensive right. about this. And not just that they took out PPP loans, that loans that were forgiven. So they didn't have to pay them back. And they're out there making these statements about how, well, I pay my loans back. Or when you take a loan, that's the rule. Was it for you, Andrew Clyde, when you got your PPP loan? That was forgiven. And again, I think PPP loans were a great thing. Like I personally know people who were able to keep their actual genuine small mom and pop businesses afloat through the worst, hairiest parts of the pandemic. My brother, for example, was able mm -hmm. to keep his restaurants mm -hmm. open. When I say mom and pop, like his staff got down to the point where it was my brother and my sister-in-law and my nephew. Like it was a Is true- Is that in Louisiana? This was in, they were actually in California. Okay. okay. It was a Louisiana restaurant. Okay. But okay. they, you know, and they were able to keep their doors open uh, amidst wildfires and pandemic because- of these PPP loans that, right, and, right. And that were forgiven and thank God they were forgiven. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a, so many genuine people were able to keep their companies open and also Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde and all these people with hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> of PPP loans that again were forgiven. They didn't have to pay the loans back. That's what forgiven means. So it's interesting. And I want to give a shout out to Megan Coyne. She was the social media manager or is the social media manager for the White House. And she, before that, was the social media manager for New Jersey. She's a legend. And so New Jersey has all of these edgy tweets and she sort of built a brand with that by using Sopranos references or like re being really, you know, Jersey. And so she got hired by the White House. And I love this strategy oh, yeah. of be finally being aggressive and calling people out on their hypocrisy. I don't think we've seen this from the Biden White House at all. No, and I am so here for it. She is so talented. She's so deft. Like her instincts are so good. And the fact that they are apparently just letting her run with this is great. And again, it's not like I saw someone from the right on Twitter say, oh, you know, it's pretty ironic. The people from the left are, are you know, are, are slamming PPP loans that kept small businesses. Like, no, no, no. Nobody's slamming PPP loans. We're slamming the hypocrisy. Totally. The hypocrisy of all these people. I, I paid my loans back. You got to pay your loans back. It's like, well, you, you totally didn't. <laughs> you right. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans forgiven. And a lot of rich people took out those loans too. Oh, all levels of company. And again, they yeah. did. Like they really did help all kinds of companies keep 
people employed and keep people at the lower rungs of the ladders of those companies employed because they the people at the lowest rungs of the ladders would probably be the first to get cut. And there was a lot of um, also, there was some criming that went on with those PPP loans too. I mean, you hear about all these people, like there have been a couple of churches, there's been a couple of businesses. Or, a city or two. Yeah, who have, who yeah. have done terrible things yeah. uh, with those loans. Um, but, you know, it's, look, I think it's totally fair to have debate and the economics of it all or why it's good or bad because I know a lot of people that feel conflicted on it because they pay their loans. They, you know, so I think it's fine to have a nuanced conversation about it, but I don't think it's, it's like, I feel like a lot of the arguments on the hard right are pretty like, tone deaf as in you don't really understand who the population of people who this is actually helping. Right, who this is helping, who this is going to change the game, who this is going to help them save for their children's college or have children. So many, I mean... And we want people educated. Yes. So, okay, so we're sort of on the same page on this. Let's move on to the next thing, which is the the Fulton County DA probe, which is which is still going. And at the time we're recording, we still don't know if, if Governor Kemp is going to testify or not. But I feel like there's just been a lot of hubbub about that because it seemed for a while that he was going to testify. Everybody had reported that he was going to testify and then suddenly he wants to get out of it. Right. And so he was originally requested, his testimony was requested a while back, a couple months ago, because I know Speaker Ralston testified. All of this testimony, by the way, it's all secret. It's a special grand jury. You know, even just like when Rudy Giuliani testified, we don't know what what happened in that room. We don't know what was said because it, it this it is the testimony is secret. I also feel like everyone is kind of in agreement that Brian Kemp didn't do anything wrong during the, you know, but him not Trump wanting was, to talk right, makes me feel like what or is, this is what I wonder, Terry. Is this a political ploy? As in, look, he's in the lead. There's no question right. about that, and he's an incumbent, and he's popular. So is this kind of give the optics of? I'm not backing down going against Trump. So, hey, you Trumpies, maybe this is, I, I got to shore them up by keeping this news in yes, the vortex. that is exactly what I think it is. And I think it's weird that he's trying to do this whole like, you know, don't you worry, Trumper base. I'm going to, you know, I'm your guy through sovereign immunity because it's such, and I'm not going to go down the sovereign immunity rabbit hole because- you know, we would be, be such a good name for a band. <laughs> it's um, but it's but basically like so my husband is an attorney who does a lot with sovereign immunity. He knows a lot okay. about it. And he what he basically said, he said all of this that's going on with Kemp and sovereign immunity reminds uh-huh. him of the scene in The Princess Bride uh-huh. when Amigo Montoya is like says to like you keep using this word. I do not think this word means what you think it means. And that's basically sort of my take on what's happening with the sovereign immunity question because they're not suing Trump. Like he's not the target. He hasn't received a target letter. They just need him to, you know, tell his side of the story on what happened to a secret jury. It's not a big deal. It wouldn't take that much time. He could have gotten it done months ago. And he's put himself in a tricky position because if, you know, the subpoena is not quashed and who knows what McBurney's going to do. But if he loses this, that looks worse than if he had just gone and testified in the first place. I, I, of course, I was like, 
when I saw, I, I am not a lawyer. I am nowhere near a lawyer, lawyering, but I've learned a lot about lawyering, being around people like you and people oh, like- Oh, I'm not a lawyer either. Well, I know you're not a lawyer, <laughs> but you're, you're lawyer adjacent. I'm lawyer adjacent, and, yes. And uh, being around Senator Jen and I, and I, I was like, Quashal, is that Quash? I had to look that quash. up. Quash. Yeah, Quash. But it's Quash, Quashal, like, but it's, they call it Quashal. See, I don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. You quash, you quash the subpoena. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, they're trying to get more people in. They had to call in what they're calling Sydney Powell in, right? And Who, because that Coffee County stuff, that was some shady so, nonsense. So, happening will you down recap there. what happened there? So, and I'm, I might miss some of the, but the gist mm-hmm. of it was Sydney Powell, and there's an Atlanta tech firm that she hired to go down, and they went down to. And it's funny, all these Republicans are saying, oh, well, you know, these, you know, people are, the Democrats are going to go and invade the voting machines. No, these were Republicans working at the behest of Trump who went in and actually did like open up these voting machines in Coffee County and take data from these voting machines. It's a huge deal. I think we're at the very sort of beginning stages of the story unfolding, but I think it is one to watch and it's one that it is complicated. It is messy. It is, it's a legally weird because it's just not the kind of thing that happens very often, but I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about Sidney Powell. Well, and she's in trouble too because I read about the the Dominion Fox News lawsuit. Oh, yeah. And that one really fascinates me just from being a media person, from a media standpoint, because I think that's a really, and anyone, you know, Chris, your husband, when I meet him in person, I'll have to ask him about this, but it fascinates me with that one because, because it's news you have to prove the intent that it's not the First Amendment and freedom of speech right. as far as like what did they know and did they know they were lying with all this Dominion stuff. And this is a pretty huge Dominion lawsuit. And when, and I find what's interesting is they're not willing to settle. Like it is going no, to trial. Right, it is going to trial. And I, I think that they are probably feeling pretty confident. So I remember the pink slime case with ABC News. Yes. That was another yes. big, one of those First Amendment things. And that was a huge like ground, like laid the foundation for this. So, I mean, but I mean, it is crazy that the lengths that they went to, to overturn the election and, the, and to the lengths that they went to in Georgia, especially, especially knowing that it wouldn't have mattered to you anyway. Right. Well, and you think about with these kinds of cases, you know, because Dominion's saying, but you know, how they're how their their brand, you know, had their reputation has been damaged. Right. And, you know, you mentioned the pink slime case. As soon as those words came out of your mouth, I'm picturing the video in my mind. Like, I don't eat a chicken nugget without thinking about that. Right. Like, that's how pervasive and long-lasting and enduring those types of, you were talking about a defamation suit, can be. So, yeah, this is... We're at the very beginning of all this with Sidney Powell, I think. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't know. I feel like nothing matters. Anybody can do anything and people just get away with it. But it does seem like the lower it is, the lower level people that are getting, I mean, I, I, I just don't know I anymore, think every, Terry. I think, I think the gears tend to grind more slowly than we would like for them to grind. But I really think that we're going to get to resolution and justice on these cases. I really do. It's like Fonny says, if what, what, she's like, if A B, B equals B equals fact C. A, fact B, fact B, I, <laughs> I'm going to bring an indictment. <laughs> Shout out to the Politically Georgia yes. podcast. We hear that ad on there. I will listen to that regularly. Listen to it on my way over here to record today. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I mouthed it along with Fonny. <laughs> um, okay, so... 
also want to bring up the loss of the great Sandra Deal, which uh, Nathan Deal, the first lady, and I I never met her, but like I I had a lot of respect for Nathan Deal as a governor, even though, and I think we, you and I have talked Absolutely. about this before, like even though we didn't agree or see eye to eye, but he, he's one of those old school Georgia guys, kind of like Johnny Isaacson too, yes. or just a class act. And she really seemed like a wonderful woman. And so she died of breast cancer. She was only 80. I had no idea she was sick. Did people know? What do you know? People close to the deals knew, yes. Uh, people close to the deals knew that this was happening. They knew that the end was probably closer than anyone would have wanted it to be. And you're right. I mean, I remember what, because I came into the house when Nathan Deal was still governor. And one of the things that surprised me, I was like, I didn't realize he was a crier. And every speech he would, he would choke up, whether he was talking about the, the um, incarcerated folks who would work at the governor's mansion and how much respect he had for them. Um, But always, invariably, when he spoke of his wife, his voice would always break. And if you met her, you could see why. She was a gracious, wonderful, selfless, thoughtful person. She visited 800 schools in all 159 counties in the state of Georgia. She and this was more than 1,000 visits during her years at First Lady. That's a that's an intense schedule on top of all of the other things you do as first lady, but her commitment, when you, the tributes that have come in from gears and other, you know, early learning organizations in Georgia, I mean, she was committed not just to reading books to little kids, but to actually helping shape and guide policy that was going to help with early education in Georgia. And she was just, I mean, such an, in all I mean, I, you know, I would see her at the mansion you know, once or twice. I would see her at the Capitol occasionally. And once I ran into her in, you know, the, the waiting area of a restaurant in Buckhead when I was dressed like a total schlub having picked my daughter up from an early release day. And even then, she's just, a, just gracious no matter who she was speaking to, no matter what the situations were. And it is such a huge loss for her family and for her friends. And I know there are a lot of folks who we know, friends of the podcast, maybe not so friends of the podcast, but who probably still listen to the podcast. <laughs> and they are, they are going to be mourning her this weekend. Yeah. I know they're having the, the celebration of life for her and she will be deeply missed. Yeah, it's really sad. I, I just, it's very sad. She seemed like a wonderful, wonderful person. So may she rest in peace yes. and sending a lot of love to her family. And if it was breast cancer, ladies, don't forget to get your mammograms. I know so many of us have put put that off in COVID. I mean, but oh yeah, uh, you know she uh, she struggled with that. So oh, it's it's a tough. Thing. She was a great lady. Yeah, we have to pay our respects to her. Uh, moving on, um, of course, the, you know, as far as you know, we got this podcast episode talking about Dems in array, and there have been some really uh, sadly for some of the wrong reasons as far as like these. Pro-force birth laws, right. abortion is really on the minds of people, and it's really moving special elections in New York yes, that weren't is. supposed to, you know, go the Democrats' way, and then of course Kansas, and then uh, women are really, really motivated. Um, where we could turn on the news three months ago and they'd be like, "That's it." That- red wave. And now people are like, well, abortion. What are your thoughts? I always think about that sign that James Carville, you know, the mythology of him posting the sign at Bill Clinton's campaign headquarters that said, the economy, stupid. And 
I think that Republicans now really, really, really want it to be the economy. It's choice. It's choice. And choice is, and we're, we're seeing that in these specials, like you said, choice is what it comes down to. And it comes down to women. Women are registering to vote in very, very high rates. We are seeing women, and again, this is, a, it's, it's, this is a, an issue for all women. Like you saw in Kansas, it's, it's not just urban or suburban. This is rural women too. Because again, so many women recognize that while they might never choose an abortion for themselves, while they might not ever encourage their daughter to have an abortion if she had an unplanned pregnancy, they know what happens in pregnancy when it turns tragic. And they, they don't ever want themselves or their daughter or their sister to be faced with one of these catastrophic traumas and tragedies that we're hearing about that are starting to happen more and more in hospital emergency rooms. And we're also seeing some politicians taking down the language. The guy that's running for senator in Arizona has yes. decided to, you know, he's changed these commercials. Uh, we can take a listen to that. Most people support common sense regulation around abortion. But Mark Kelly votes for the most extreme abortion laws in the world. We're talking no limits up until birth. Think about how crazy that is. That's more extreme than Western Europe. It's way more extreme than what Arizonans want. Look, I support a ban on very late term and partial birth abortion. And most Americans agree with that. That would just put us on par with other civilized nations. Mark Kelly, the only countries that support his no limits extreme abortion policies are China and North Korea. I'm Blake Masters and I approve this message. We have the receipts, man. Right, and he's running against Mark Kelly, right? Like, like, <laughs> I mean, he's, I love the tweet that was like, he's trying to gaslight us. <laughs> I mean, like, we have the receipts. But um, as we get to our next guest, which you so graciously set up uh, for this, I'm so excited. And before we get to our guest, I want to tee up this piece of audio in Louisiana, which, where abortion is basically banned. Uh, Nancy Davis was denied an abortion in Louisiana because she's carrying a non-viable fetus, and she had some words on the steps of the state capitol. Good morning. My name is Nancy Davis, and I am a citizen of the state of Louisiana. Ten weeks into my pregnancy, I found out that my baby had a rare birth defect called a cranial. The doctors told me that my baby would die shortly after birth. They told me that I should terminate the pregnancy because of the state of Louisiana's abortion ban. They could not perform the procedure. Basically, they said I had to carry my baby to bury my baby. They seemed confused about the law and afraid of what would happen to them if they performed a criminal abortion according to the law. Now I am preparing to go out of state for this procedure next week I want you to imagine what it's been like to continue this pregnancy for another six weeks after this diagnosis. This is not fair to me, and it should not happen to any other woman. This has truly been an emotional roller coaster. One thing I would like people to understand is very difficult and complex for so many reasons. Being a mother starts when your baby's in the womb, not on the outside. The attachment and everything that comes with it. So I am very excited today to introduce 
Mandy Landry. She is currently my counterpart, uh, in a way, in the Louisiana House of Representatives. She represents a district in New Orleans, and she is running for a Senate district in New Orleans, which would make her Jen's counterpart um, in, in, in the Louisiana mm-hmm. Senate. And it is a really great, vibrant district. It includes Tulane University, St. Charles Avenue, like all the things you think of when you think of New Orleans are in this district. And a lot of things you don't think of necessarily if you're a Georgian thinking of New Orleans, like you're, you're, the new district has part of the West Bank, I think, right? Like across the river. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, where, um, where I grew up actually, ironically, but just a little bit. So we are excited about your run for yes. state senator. State senator. And I'm going to, so Mandy Landry, if she wins the Senate race right now in Louisiana, and Louisiana is a little bit interesting because, you know, we're hearing a lot, we've heard a lot the past couple of weeks about Louisiana's abortion law and the repercussions. Louisiana has a governor who is a Democrat, which is not something, it's something that surprises people sometimes when you tell them, they're like, well, he's a what? And no, he's a Democrat, but we still have these laws. Mandy, if she is elected to the Louisiana Senate, she will be the only pro-choice woman in the Louisiana Senate. Welcome to Vote Her Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, there's, y'all, it's wild down here. Uh, you know, Louisiana has been ground zero for abortion laws. I mean, forever. Like so much of the bad stuff they tested out of here. They started here. We have more anti-abortion laws on our books than any other state. And uh, it's what the result has been up until now is now we have 39 senators. We only have five who are women. And they are all not just anti-choice, but some of them are the ones who actually file the legislation that's very harmful to women. Um, the latest trigger ban and the latest law on um, regarding um, um, abortion by prescription were passed by women in the Senate. And it's so egregious. And it's, and it's one of the reasons I ran for the House. I said, look, this is a New Orleans House district. It is highly Democratic. There's more women than men in it. Um, if I can't run as an openly pro-choice candidate who has represented an abortion clinic as a lawyer, then we're doomed. And I did. And I won. So I think there is a little bit of hope out there for choice candidates in the South. Um, I think just a lot of people are scared. So I want, I want to ask about Nancy Davis. We just played the clip of her talking about how she was denied an abortion. She's uh, represented by Ben Crump now and is clearly mm-hmm. wanting to get more attention because she has this non-viable fetus. We just heard from her. Can you give us uh, your thoughts on that case? I mean, this, this poor, poor woman's tragedy and trauma is exactly what um, so many of us said was going to happen if we passed these horrible abortion laws. Um, these people who pass the laws think that they're just, um, you know, being morally superior. But what's happening is they're affecting healthcare, and they're affecting healthcare for people in very dire circumstances, like Miss Davis. I mean, imagine being told this pregnancy that you wanted, um, that the, the baby was going to die immediately. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you might have to go to another state and they turn you down. And I, I can't imagine being in the middle of, of that trauma and uh, you can't even help your own self. And that's what all of this is about. It's, it's controlling women and they think they're controlling 
just sort of lifestyle choices, which is ridiculous, but they're actually controlling healthcare. And it's actually going to result in a lot more women dying or being unable to have children. That's exactly right. I mean, we heard something similar. There was a Republican lawmaker in South Carolina earlier this week, and he had voted for their their abortion ban and then was contacted by a physician in his district who said, look, I've got this 19-year-old girl. She's you know pregnant. She came and she was having a miscarriage. Her water broke. The fetus still had a heartbeat. This girl's probably going to lose her uterus. Like she's losing all of her future mm-hmm. fertility because mm-hmm. of that that same kind of abortion law. And I think you're right. I think women, even women who view themselves as pro-life women, women who would not ever choose an abortion for themselves or encourage anyone to have an abortion, women who don't think abortion should be birth control, also understand what can go wrong with a pregnancy and how, how tragedy is not uncommon. You think of something that might happen one in 1,000 pregnancies, that is an exception, you know, but that doesn't mean it's as uncommon as people think it is. And, and these I, bills I, I, just don't account for that. I want to play the clip because that is Neil Collins, state representative in South Carolina. I voted for the pain-capable bill, the fetal heartbeat bill, and fetal heartbeat has been for six weeks now. The second week that this that the fetal heartbeat bill became law, a doctor called me out of Anderson. I live in Easley. A 19-year-old girl appeared at the ER. She was 15 weeks pregnant. Her water broke. And the, the fetus was unviable. The standard of care was to advise her uh, that they could extract or she could go home. The attorneys told the doctors that because of the fetal heartbeat bill, because that 15-week-old had a heartbeat, the doctors could not extract. So their only choices were to admit the 19-year-old until that fetal heartbeat stopped. I asked, how long does it take to stop? She said, seconds, minutes, hours, maybe days, or discharge. They discharged that 19-year-old. The doctor told me at that point, there's a 50% chance. Well, first, she's going to pass this fetus in the toilet. She's going to have to deal with that on her own. There's a 50% chance, greater than 50% chance, that she's going to lose her uterus. There's a 10% chance that she will develop sepsis and herself die. That weighs on me. I voted for that bill. These are affecting people, and we're having a meeting about this. It took that whole week I did not sleep I followed up with the doctor a week later she had heard nothing did not know about the 19 year old thank God I followed up two weeks later she did return to the ER they did extract the now non-beating fetus what we do matters I just want to know Mandy how you cure people like that, how you want to keep on fighting? It's, you know, it was actually the governor who, <laughs> he's a fellow Democrat, but I definitely have issues publicly with his, his stances on abortion. But it was actually the governor who said something to the effect of, you know, these, lo- these laws, the trigger bans essentially, were always purely theoretical before and until Roe was overturned. And I think that's something that we've all noticed that people were very happy to pass all these crazy laws for street cred and political cred, um, knowing that Roe was there. 
and that nothing was ever going to happen. And guess what? Like <laughs> it happened. And there are a lot of people like I saw that lawmaker and uh, I hear privately from my colleagues and just, you know, people on the street, men and women who are like, this is, this is too much. This is too far. They, they have gone too far. Um, they, they really have overstepped their boundaries and now we're, we're hurting people. And I mean, we do talk a lot about the, the healthcare issues when it's the life of the mother or the baby, but I mean, abortion comes down to a value judgment when people are saying this, this reason is okay and this reason is not okay. And none of us ever, to me, have the right to decide which reason is okay. It, it's, it's up to the person. So I think this is getting a lot of people to really think about uh, what their opposition was grounded in. Were they being uh, judgmental or were they... Um, you know, did they even understand what they were voting for? That's right. And did they really care? Like in Georgia, I, I truly genuinely believe that the heartbeat bill HB 481 in Georgia was absolutely performative politics. And there are so many bonkers parts of this bill, like pregnant ladies being able to be in a car in the HOV lane because their fetus counts as an extra person, you know, being able to claim your fetus for an income tax deduction. Like that's, that's not normal like people who think normally about legislation wouldn't normally have legislation like that. But this was a bill that, yeah, a lot of people and a lot of people I had private conversations with never thought would actually pass. And so it has, you know, they just throw all this stuff in there to appease their base and to maybe stave off a primary opponent. And now we're living with this legislation and women are having to live with this legislation and they might lose their lives because of this legislation. Yep. Yep. I mean. No one, I say no one, we thought about it. Yeah. We warned people. Uh, I you warned know. people myself and tried to explain it. And I said, hey, what you're criminalizing is a natural form of life. And you're going to end up with women being arrested in the emergency room because someone's going to accuse her of having an abortion. Um, and, and no one thought through things like this. They were just all reflexively, quote, pro-life. It was, became just a political issue. I mean, women's bodies have been political pawns in my state, you know, forever with Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, for, for me to just like see some of these people and know like you got elected off women's dead bodies, like you were like walking over them and nobody like ever said anything to them. And now they're being faced with the reality. And I just hope it's not too late for so many women in my state, poor women, black and brown women primarily. Mm -hmm. who are going to be affected by this. So you're now running for state senator and there's, it feels like it's a lot riding on it because I feel like Louisiana is like Texas or Alabama. It's so, so extreme. And as you said, there are women represented there in the state house, but the, none of them are pro-choice. Mm -hmm. How how do you manage that? Carrying the weight of fighting for so many women when you're going into, basically when you're getting up and going to work and into a hornet's nest, at least Terry in Georgia, it feels, <laughs> right. it, it feels pretty split, but you're really, you're really getting into it. How do you keep yourself going? I mean, this is why I ran and, and how I got here. And, you know, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be like this. I do depend on my advocate friends for a lot, but what, you know, I'm in this very neat position. I say neat, very different position in Louisiana compared to most of my colleagues that I'm, I'm very much the outsider in Baton Rouge, in the capital, very, very much on many issues. 
but I am completely supported by my district and people back home. Like there is no question. And it's, it's the opposite for a lot of my colleagues. They been there for a while. They get in leadership, they, you know, make deals or they just kind of figured it out. And then back home, their districts are more politically diverse, I guess. And they, they get it from all sides and, and they get it from the far right hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My understanding is that representative in South Carolina and his district gets it hard from the far right. Well, this is what, and, yeah. and uh, Terry and I actually were, were speaking about this because there was recently an episode of the the Daily, the New York yes. Times, the Daily, and it, here's what it really reminded me of. Basically, they're calling themselves abortion abolitionists, where they're just, yeah. it's so, it, they no exceptions, no nothing. It's all evangelical. It's even a level above being an evangelical. Right. But here's what it reminds me of, and I wonder if you guys think the same way. It reminds me of the extreme gun laws, like the Georgia carry here, where the NRA just simply isn't enough. And that movement really, really worked. Do, do, oh yeah. So what do we see this for the for the pro choice movement? I mean, I, I I don't know if it's different or not because. I, I don't know where the country's at with this abolition stuff. I think it's I mean, a very loud, loud minority of people. I, I really, I, that abolition, it's, it's scary. It's scary when you hear this, this pastor leading this movement and who is crafting policy that, that's being put into place in, in states across the United Nations. Talk about how, you know, well, the, you know, you, you deserve to die for your sins. Like well, he's, he was basically saying in this interview that women should die for the sin of abortion, which is, which is, I think, an idea that most politicians, even the far-right politicians, aren't going to latch on to the idea of punishing the women. They seem to be more intent on punishing the doctors, which is, again, how we have situations like we have in Louisiana, where you have doctors who are, there's a lot of reluctance to do anything that could potentially open them up to prosecution. What do you think, Mandy? Yeah, I mean, the, the abolition thing was a little bit new to me in the last year or two. Maybe I'm I'd heard it a little, um, and, you know, it's a, it's the next extension of legal personhood, right? So for anyone listening, legal personhood is a concept that when sperm meets egg, you are a quote legal person and therefore, um, you know, your life is protected. Um, and what a lot of people didn't realize is that would trigger homicide statutes that would trigger child support, insurance, the state law. I mean, a bazillion things, you know, is your birthday the date of conception? What is it? And the the abolitionists, as they call themselves, it, it's it's the same. It's it's just a grosser extension of this. And they were around the Capitol a little bit when we had um, HA13. That was, I mean, it was an abortion prohibition bill that made abortion a homicide, which is what legal personhood would do. And so it's grounded in this. They've adopted all regular <laughs> constitutional language of due process and equal protection and they kind of just throw these terms around. But their argument is that to me consistent, if they say that um, life begins at conception, then whether it's an abortion or you drink too much or you use drugs or not taking care of yourself, that would be considered a homicide. And um, it's just when these people who are on extremes are allowed to take an inch, like we've been allowing them to do for 30, 40 years, eventually they, they reach the end of their mile and uh, they're throwing women in jail. And that's where they intended to go the whole time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder, I wonder because it's, it seems like the tide is turning in the sense where we're seeing that in, in 
political polls and in certain elections early on where this is motivating people that, um, we've talked about this before, how there's low information voters and they don't realize what's Mm -hmm. really happening to them. But do you think that, you know, now that the dog has caught the car, right? Uh, do you, do you think that like maybe it, it can be reversed and we can go back or, or are we just fucked? (laughs) I think we can. I think it'll look different. I don't think it'll just be a rewind. Um, I think you're right. A lot of people were just kind of complacent and didn't really affect them or there were still clinics. I mean, every state still had a clinic, you know, it was difficult to get, but I don't know. People just weren't, weren't envisioning it hitting them directly. Women and and their family members. And I mean, now's the time for the men to step up. Come on guys. I know know, we've, we've kind of been waiting and, um, that isn't an interesting part. I've noticed on the doors because, like you said, I'm campaigning in the middle of New Orleans summer. Uh, wasn't planning to do it, but I, I mean, I go out there. It's, me, it's the only way to, to be a real candidate. Right. And I'm having uh, a lot of men start the conversation talking about Roe, which that certainly never happened in 2019. And it's been interesting. And it's mostly men with daughters, I would say, like high school and younger, maybe. I, I'm just curious, Mandy, I'd love for you to walk up me through like what that conversation sounds like. So I'll start it with my, hey, I'm representative, Mandy Landry, I'm running for Senate. You know, a little brief why, depending on, on how I'm feeling or, or where I think I'm at, where I am in the neighborhood. And um, what's happened quite a few times, either they'll see in my walk card, abortion or reproductive rights, and bring it up or I'll say, you know, is there something you would like to talk about or what is your, what is, what is on your mind that you're really worried about? And they'll say like this row stuff, like what is going on here? Or they'll say, this is like really important to me right now. They'll almost always say they have daughters. Not always, but usually I have daughters, like what is going on? And so then I'll, you know, tell them what my experience as a lawyer, what I've done in the Capitol and try to provide some positive notes. Um, there's a lot of us who do a lot of work on maternal health. It's probably been my, my primary focus since I've been there. And so it's, it's a, they're always good conversations, but they're just pretty openly, you know, concerned about it. As they should be. Yeah. Very concerned about it. As they should be. Well, um, and it also fascinates me, both of you from Louisiana, you know, I think New Orleans, I think like free spirit and party (laughs) and we're going to let our freak flags fly. And I guess, I mean, so would you both say that like there's New Orleans and then there's Louisiana, like there's Atlanta and then there's Georgia? I'd say there's the French Quarter and there's Uptown. (laughs) No, no, New Orleans is is definitely let your freak flag fly in in many, many different, in many different ways Uh, or let your, let your individual flag fly, whatever it is. yeah, New Orleans is the the blue dot, um, you know, in the red state, the proverbial and Shreveport and Baton Rouge are a little blue too. Um, but we're, I mean, even though, like you said, uptown is different, there's, they're pretty liberal. It's a very different uptown, Terry, probably than what you uh, remember when you were really little. It's, it's definitely younger and oh, yeah. um, more liberal and more open-minded and all that for sure. And, you know, like gay rights have changed things. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone knows and has family members and, and the younger generation um, is very open about um, if they're LGBT. And so there's, there's a lot of that that's changed. And New Orleans is a forgiving place for the most part. Um, you know, with whoever you are, whatever you, 
whatever you do, you can generally find a spot for yourself here. And the state is different in different places. It's still a very populous state, which is why I do have hope for um, a change in politics for sure. But I, you know, New Orleans is different, but like the Bayou region, my friends out in the swamps and on the coast, they're, they are kind of, I would say a forgiving bunch too. They don't care what you're doing. They just want to survive and live their life. And, um, that's, I think that's most people. They don't want to judge you. They don't care what you're doing. Just be safe and leave them alone. Well, everybody should go to your website right now at Mandy. <laughs> that's a with an I-E, MandyLandry.com and give a donation because I know mostly we have Georgia people. Well, we, you know, I, I look at the, the metrics sometimes. There's We have got a few randos all over the place. We love those randos. But listen, you've got to donate to Mandy because... This is you are a woman fighting the the fight and 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 you're you're li- literally like you are literally a needle in a haystack yes. at that get the <laughs> capital. <Yep. laughs> I they don't know what to do with me sometimes. I, I bring gun control bills. I bought brought a bill to decriminalize sex work. Uh, I, I could do another whole podcast with you on that. It's the to me it's the flip side of abortion rights is controlling your own body, deciding what you're going to do with it. Um, so they think I'm a little out there, but um, I appreciate this. It's, yeah, M-A-N-D-I-E-L-A-N-D-R-Y. I'm a, a current elected state rep running for state senate. I never ran for office before. Um, I'm a, a union child. I was the first person in my family to go to college, and I'm not afraid of anyone. That, I'm just that's willing clear. to keep pushing it. I'm rooting <laughs> as for long you. As, voters want me, as long as the voters want me, uh, they can have me. And uh, I I really love meeting new friends in strange places like Twitter. Yes, like exactly. On Twitter. So. Well, we need more Mandy's great. in the world and we've got to like women. So listen, if you're listening, uh, as, as we've all learned, it takes a lot of money to run in a campaign and I'm going to give you a donation later today. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, Terry, pressure's on. I'm yeah. just kidding. Oh, hey, no. My parents are hosting a meet and greet. My parents and my sister at their house. They have a great yep. big fence. Yep. They're going to put, the, the Mandy's team brought over a sign. I was like, you need to bring over a bigger sign. This is like a fence corner. I, I instructed them. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, go put a big one on there. Yeah, go put a big one. And it seems like everyone I know has has friends down here too. And, you know, that's that's how... I said before, a real candidate knocks doors. I, that maybe wasn't the right word. I think a, a genuine candidate who wants to run for the right reasons is, is truly elected by voters and not handpicked yes. by, um, by other people, which happens often in, at all levels of government, um, as y'all well know. So, um, yeah, any, anyone reach out to me. I'm very responsive on social media, too. I, I love Instagram. My favorite. Uh, it's such a more positive place than Twitter, but I appreciate y'all having me and this was fun. And um, Final question. Are beignets overrated? <laughs> no. Um, I love them, but it's something I probably only eat once a year. Thank you. See, well, I think it depends on where you get them. <laughs> I think it also depends on where you get them. And I don't think you necessarily have to go to Cafe du Monde in the French Quarter no. to get them. Okay. I think yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. We're just not sitting around with, you know, my pet alligator <laughs> eating and, and uh, wearing Mardi Gras beads. I mean, I know that's how we're portrayed, but um, 
<laughs> now I do eat gum. I eat gumbo regularly. I eat seafood regularly. It's hot all the time. Like that stuff is all true. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So. Uh, the, you know, that's, that's the, you, you had the final word and we're all rooting for you. Congratulations on all your success. We're really rooting for you. Uh, you gotta be state Senator. So keep it up. Thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. Thanks, Mandy. Well, that was awesome. Sorry. Was that basic that I asked the beignet question? No, <laughs> not basic at all. I think beignets are delicious. I do, I actually probably only eat them once or twice a year, if that. I, I, it's, it's, I don't know, beignets, donuts. I think, you know, those, there's, they're a little overrated. It's like, it looks great in a photo, but maybe not. Well, you have to have them fresh. Yeah. And you have to have them fresh and they have to like dry it out of the grease. They don't, they don't wait. Travel well. No, they don't travel. But uh, Mandy's amazing. I, I think she's got a much higher hill to climb. But uh, apologies for my dog. And I heard her dog. It's, you know it's a good podcast if That's there's right. a, a collar shaking or a dog barking. Because <laughs> I think I heard her dog too. But she's fantastic. Thank you for introducing us to her. Oh, I was, I'm glad to introduce her to the voter audience. Um, that's just, it was really great. So everybody send the, a donation. Okay. The story of the week, I can't get enough of, you know, the greatest, you know, and, and I've had some confirmation that our friend, our mutual friend, Kim Severson is going to come on the show because when it comes to politics, you know, there's, there's always a food angle and you know where I'm going with there's this. There's always Wait. a food angle. And I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. That's two bucks, not a ton of broccoli there. There's some asparagus, that's $4. Yep. Carrots, that's four more dollars. That's $10 of vegetables there. And then we need some guacamole, that's $4 more. And she loves salsa, yeah, there's salsa there. $6, must be a shortage of salsa. Guys, that's $20 for crudite, and this doesn't include the tequila. I mean, that's outrageous. We got Joe Biden to thank for this. I love dipping asparagus in salsa. It's so yummy. There's so many things that, first of all, we'll point out that that was on John Oliver back in April. So right. this one guy on Twitter, Ron Flipikowski, or he's a former Republican. Now he's like a Democratic operative and he puts out all these videos and that video went really viral. But that was one of those, that was like a Howard Dean scream moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that is a man... Who has not spent much time at a supermarket? And it is a man who, I guess, dips asparagus in salsa, which is deeply troubling. And that's a person who, who had, who is using the term crudite to describe what I think he means like a veggie tray. Well, look, I didn't have so much of a problem with that. It was just like, it was, it was like you said, it was clearly someone who had not been to a supermarket yeah. in a really, really a long time. Like, yeah, six bucks. That's how much salsa costs. That's how much salsa costs. And well, he's buying the he's buying the kind in the cold section. Of course, it's going to cost more. I loved what Ho Jose Andres said something. <laughs> he was like, you know, you could buy it. We, you know, for the the twenty dollars that you were spending on that stuff, we could make a big rice dish and feed twenty people with it. It's like if you learn how to cook. If you learn how to cook, ex exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. And I, and I think in the longer cut of the video, he even. Um, like mess up the name. He didn't even know the name of the store where he was. Yeah, which is which is telling. Also, I mean, it reminds me of um, the mom on Arrested Development. Like, how much could one banana cost? Ten dollars. <laughs> I mean, that's where he is. And you're right. Like, there's nothing wrong with using the term coup de I use the term coup de to make that's. But just the 
his just completely, totally out of touch, someone who has, could not tell you what a gallon of milk cost. No, but so many of those, so so many of these people don't are really out of touch when it comes oh, to that. Yeah. So, so it's just so interesting how you can't count anybody out because one viral moment like that can go so, so, so far. But it for some reason, Terry, it feels different in Georgia because let's face it, Herschel Walker has had a hundred of those. Oh, it's one after another. There's too many trees around here. <laughs> what? They continue to try to fool you like they're helping you out, but they're not. They're not helping you out because a lot of the money is going into trees. You know that, don't you? It's going into trees. We got enough trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? And he's saying this in Sandy Springs, which is number one. I think it's a tree city USA. <laughs> So he has this gaffe and I guess it's just, there's so many of them where it doesn't really matter. And then there was, uh, he was paying people for gas, buying them gas. Giving these gas cards out. Yeah. So apparently it's, it's, you know, way beyond the pale for anyone to bring water or a slice of pizza to a voter who's waiting in a four hour long voting line. Like you can't do that. That might influence the voters. (laughs) But meanwhile, we're going to go down to rural Georgia and give out grocery gift cards and that's okay. And that's not buying votes. I mean, this is He's going out there handing, and there there are other political candidates who have done this around the country. I think someone running for mayor in Chicago has been doing something similar. I think it's, you know, there've been, it's not, Herschel Walker didn't invent this. His campaign didn't, I mean, I don't know if he's, his campaign definitely didn't invent the concept of doing this, but it is a little, I think it's a little gauche. It is. It sucks. I I will appreciate, though, Reverend Warnock has finally started pushing back on the debates because uh, at first it seemed like he was kind of holding back. You know, Walker kept moving the goalposts like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I mean, he gave this really weird interview uh, to a Macon television station while in Macon kind of saying that like Macon wasn't that great. And it's funny, in that interview, there's a woman next to him, like, please shut up. Like, stop talking. She's stop just, talking. Please, she, yeah. please, just please. It's But Georgia has this weird vibe where, like, I feel like in Pennsylvania, they've got their Fetterman. He connects. And I think Warnock does that with the Georgia voter. I think so, too. But it's Georgia. Who knows what can happen? I mean, you know, and again, it's, you know, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon, and who knows what's going to happen between now and... <laughs> Now, in the end of the day, <laughs> last Friday, I felt like, you know, normally things tend to calm down on Friday afternoons. And last Friday, it was like one case after another, what, like the results of one lawsuit after that, everything was announced. It was, it was intense. And that's how it is in Georgia. And, but yeah, Walker's been really weird about these debates. And Warnock has been pretty steady in saying like, look, we're, you know, I'm willing to do these debates. He's made all these offers. You've got, you know, and debates that every other politician in Georgia does like the Atlanta Press Club debate series, like all you know, in these the TV stations in Savannah that have their debates. It's a normal thing for politicians, Republicans and Democrats to anymore. do this. But, 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 but you know what? Maybe not anymore oh. because you have, you know, listen, the Republican National Committee said that they you don't want to do debates anymore. So maybe, maybe this is a tired thing. I, I don't know. I'm trying to kind of think maybe this is a tired thing, but with him, I just don't, I think. 
it, 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 it's, it's, he's kind of damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't, because we all remember, as you know, we can't say enough about, you know, that dreamy John Ossoff, our senator, who d- debated an empty podium. I mean, it was, it was great TV. It was right. just, it was, it was an incredible move. So, I mean, will Warnock have the same opportunity? We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, this is Georgia politics, Terry. It's never going to change. Listen, no, um, never quiet. Uh, we're f- continuing to follow along Senator Jen Jordan, who is uh, running for attorney. General. She is very busy. She is hugging a lot of people. I see all her photos. Um, she responds to one out of every of my 10 <laughs> text to her. <laughs> so we're sending her love and please tell all your friends that how important Attorney General is. It is so important. All right. Anything else while we're here? Anything else? You're, you're, how's your doll collection? <laughs> My doll, Victoria's doing very well, thank you. She sends her love. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yes, the dolls and the dogs are doing great. Okay, great. Christina Loringer, thank you so much for always doing such a great job producing the podcast. And we will talk to you again soon. Every other Friday we record, we'll be here for you, uh, just like Ross and Rachel. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm not doing that again. 